bits and pretzels inspire you. You will figure it out. This is clearly the place to be. Hi, everyone. This is Britta Wedling, and you're listening to the Bits and Pretzels podcast. Corona forces everyone to come up with creative solutions to the contact restriction challenges. So we came up with the idea for our very first virtual founders breakfast to discuss problems and solutions currently facing founders. Guests included actor Kevin Spacey with his first-hand experience in dealing with uncertainties when your life as you know it comes to a full stop. And we talked to Albert Wenger, who dialed in from his house in New York State. He is managing director at VC firm Union Square Ventures. And we also spoke to Lea-Sophie Kramer, founder and advisory board member of the hugely successful Erotic Lifestyle Articles online store Amore Lee. Our show today will be different than usual, inasmuch as we present three perspectives to you in the hope that each will give you an insight, a thought, or an approach that will inspire and motivate you in this time of global crisis. Kevin Spacey talks about overcoming adversity. And when my career came to a grinding, screeching halt, when I was faced with the uncertainty that I might never be hired as an actor again, I had to ask myself a question I'd never asked myself before, which is, if I can't act, who am I? We see Albert Wenger advises on how to rethink business models and use the crisis as an opportunity. Part of what I believe this crisis will do, it, it'll accelerate certain trends that had already been happening. So trends towards remote work, trends towards online education, uh, and that will have a lasting and profound impact, unfortunately, at a very, very high price. And we'll hear Leah-Sophie Kramer. She stepped down as CEO of Amorelli to reboot before continuing, among other things, as an advisory board member of the firm she founded. And she shares five learnings that carried her through her timeout. We start with Albert Wenger today, a German-born company founder, angel investor and managing partner at Union Square Ventures, which focuses on technology. He believes this time of Corona is the time to restructure and to rebuild your company. And he calls in from his house outside New York. So obviously the whole world, the whole economy is on lockdown. The whole economy is grinding uh, to a halt. How, how are you holding up over where you are? Uh, you're not in New York, so tell us about your situation. Oh, uh, very fortunate uh, to have been able to uh, leave with the family to a place that we have that's uh, about two hours north um, of New York in the Hudson Valley. So we're here um, uh, with my wife, Susan Danziger, and two of our three kids. So it's, it's good. So how are you looking from where you are to what's happening to the innovation ecosystem and the startup world as one of the leading VCs uh, in the area? What's your assessment there? Well, um, this is having, um, obviously, a terrible human toll. So I think first and foremost, um, Uh, we need to think about all the people whose lives are are impacted by this. Um, and um, obviously, I think um, uh, many Western countries, whether it's Germany or the U.S., um, had a lot of opportunity to prepare but didn't. Um, now, that's um, behind us. We can't change that. Um, I do think there's a lot of um, uh, innovation that we can try and apply to um, cover some of the worst shortages, you know, for example, you can print 3D print valve splitters for ventilation machines. Uh, overall, though, I think from an innovation perspective, uh, 
part of what I believe this crisis will do, it, it'll accelerate certain trends that had already been happening. So trends towards remote work, trends towards online education, uh, and that will have a lasting and profound impact, unfortunately, at a very, very high price. How should, if, if, I'm a, if I'm a founder of a startup, how should I react? What are the first thing that I should do right now from your perspective as a VC who talks to many startups and founders? Yeah, so um, uh, in a crisis, uh, there's a real premium on leadership. And um, even, of course, in regular uh, days, Uh, the employees of companies look to the founders and CEOs for leadership, but even more so in a crisis. And so uh, it's very important to communicate frequently. It's very important to uh, communicate with clarity uh, and with compassion. Um, so uh, now beyond that, um, I don't think there's a lot of generic one-size-fits-all advice for businesses. And that's because... The impact on businesses is incredibly different. So in our portfolio, we have companies such as OutSchool, for example, which provides uh, live um, classes on Zoom for small groups of students. Um, they have seen basically 10x growth since the beginning of this crisis. And then we have other companies uh, in our portfolio, for example, that rely on advertising. And um, there's, of course, a real um, drawback um, of the amount of money that companies are spending on advertising in, this, in the middle of this crisis. So the impact, I think, in our portfolio really runs the range from companies that are going to do exceptionally well as a result of this and companies that will likely go out of business as a result of this. So I think the first job for any founder is like, What's the actual impact on my business? So how can I make sure that I'm on, on the positive side? How can I make sure that I'm like my business is accelerating? What do I have to look at? Do I have to, I mean, obviously look at your number, you know, save money, talk to your employees, talk to your clients. But how, how do you look I, at this? I, I, think a lot of this I, I think a lot of this is outside of your control. A lot of this is what kind of business are you in? And you can't change that from one day to the next, you know, um, so a lot of this, the, the really first order of impact is out of people's control. Um, now, if you are in the category of businesses that are getting a massive lift from this, you know, you need to figure out how you can actually um, supply that. How can you hire enough people? How can you provide enough bandwidth? I mean, Zoom, you know, is, which is a public company, um, they have to hire extra people uh, Delivery services have to hire extra people. Our portfolio company, Marley Spoon, which sends meal kits, has to hire extra people. So for those people where this provides a lift, they need to figure out how can we actually um, deliver the service that, that people want. I think if you're on the opposite end, then you really need to think very quickly about cash preservation. Um, and unfortunately, and, and this is sounds terrible and heartless, but it... it, it most likely for businesses that are seeing a very, very substantial slowdown, um, it can require uh, laying people off. Um, and that's terrible, especially given the, the current circumstances. Um, but as a leader, you know, the, the survival of the business is obviously important for all the other employees who are there. And so... Um, Now, I do think there's a lot of um, good things are happening from government side. Um, finally, in the U.S., uh, they've passed a stimulus bill. Um, 
there's a number of stimulus measures in, in European countries. Uh, companies need to avail themselves of that money now that it's becoming available. Um, you know, the, the number one role of a CEO is not to let the company run out of money. Uh, and so um, you have to take all measures that, that, that help with that. You see like posts on LinkedIn, for example, or when you talk to founders that some VCs already are trying to squeeze the lemon in this kind of situation. You know, talk to them, try to negotiate, you know, negotiate deals that are not in the interest of, of a founder. So in this situation, how do I have to talk to my investor as a founder or as a startup? What are like the best practices to get, you know, as much out of it as I can? Uh, crises tend to bring out the true nature in people, right? So uh, I think um, uh, any VC firm that's now trying to use this to really recut a deal that they've previously committed to, uh, that's a very bad sign. You probably don't have much leverage as a founder. Um, you might just want to remember that for whenever um, things return into good times. The reason you don't have much leverage as a founder in the current environment is whenever you get a big crisis like this, there's a massive amount of deleveraging that takes place. And when deleveraging takes place, it means that there's a flight to safety and safe assets. Uh, and it also means that funding contracts much more dramatically because when the leverage evaporates, the money basically evaporates. So um, we're definitely, we have not yet had an instance in our portfolio where somebody has pulled a term sheet. Um, but we've certainly heard of other companies where um, investors were ready to fund and then said, oh, we're not going to fund. Um, and there's really not much you can do. Um, there's, there, there's no you know, term sheets are non-binding. You don't have legal recourse. So this all comes down to reputation. And in crises, reputations are both made and destroyed. You are somebody who was born in Germany um, and lives in the U.S. For, for a while now. How do you compare both of these countries when reacting to the crisis? And do you see that the U.S. startup ecosystem is similarly or differently affected by this compared to what's happening in Europe? Uh, I, I don't see a ton of difference. I think that over the last, I would say, um, decade or so, Uh, the way founders in Europe operate and the way founders in the U.S. operate has kind of converged in a way. I mean, there's obviously certain legal constraints and it's a lot easier to lay people off in the U.S. than it is in Europe. But in terms of how people think about startups, it feels like uh, um, the currently operating generation of entrepreneurs, um, they've all learned from each other. They've all read the same things. They've all seen the same videos and listened to the same podcast. So uh, there's a lot of similarity in how people think about uh, about business. Um, uh, and and I think it's, it's wonderful to see that um, businesses that have the capability, um, whether that's companies that 3D print or um, companies in the healthcare space, that they are um, activating resources very, very rapidly, um, rolling out, you know, Uh, symptom checkers, rolling out um, potentially tests. Um, uh, Susan and I have an, a personal investment in a um, virus company that is trying to pivot their virus work, which is viruses that can fight cancer, into uh, a vaccine. So 
um, I do think there's a huge amount of um, energy that's been uh, activated, and, and that strikes me as being very similar in Europe, um, from at least from what I can see at a distance. Many people are concerned also about the long-term effects um, on innovation um, when we have to let people go, uh, when you know there's less funding in the market, less money in the market, investors getting nervous. How do you look at these long-term effects? Well, um, the long-term effects are going to depend a lot on what governments do here. Um, if we find ourselves, especially in the US, if we find ourselves in a place where a lot of small businesses go bankrupt, and a lot of individuals go bankrupt uh, during the lockdown, then uh, it'll be take a long time to come back. Uh, it feels to me like steps are now being taken to avoid that. Uh, I think that in Europe, um, which has a good safety net to begin with, and where also drastic measures are being taken, um, that's less of a risk. And I do think, much like this crisis took some people by surprise with its severity, um, it shouldn't have taken people by surprise. We had complete, clear warning as to what this was going to look like. Anybody who says, or says, I didn't see that coming, it's like, what did you not see coming in? What, like, besides besides <laughs> Donald Trump, right? I mean, he well, kind of... It's not just I mean, Trump. I'm, I mean, it's, it's Italy, it's Spain, it's Germany. I mean, it's, you know, it's easy to hate Trump. And trust me, I'm not a fan of Trump. But like the same set of mistakes has been made all around the world. Um, somebody put it really, um, I think, terrifically in a, in a piece where they said uh, China got a pop quiz and basically scored like a B minus and we're flunking a take home exam. Uh, so 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 I think people were taken by surprise by how fast this crisis unfolded once it got here and then also how severe it was. I think there's a good chance that people will also be taken by surprise how quickly this could be over. Um, and, um, and you know, again, I'm, I'm an optimist. You can't be a VC without being optimist. And so maybe that's um, my optimism speaking. But I think um, once we have uh, a really good testing infrastructure in place and we can rapidly test people, uh, I do think it'll be possible to resume economic activity without putting lives at risk um, quite rapidly. And so, um, and so then, in my mind, this could be as soon as two months from now, or maybe even less. Um, and at that point, it really all depends on how much has been destroyed in the meantime. And, and I think there's a good chance that not that much has been destroyed. So I guess I'm optimistic. I also think when it comes to innovation, again, I think there's a lot of things, uh, a lot of trends that will have been accelerated by this. Um, uh, I think we're going to see a ton of innovation in telehealth, right? Um, uh, the U.S., for example, has rolled back a lot of kind of silly regulations on telehealth that were holding back important telehealth innovation, um, you know, like the practice of medicine across state lines. I mean, if somebody is a licensed doctor, why can't I talk to them, right? Um, uh, so... Um, so I actually think that there are many areas where uh, this will be a net positive for innovation. You know, it's interesting because you are the second VC I'm talking to during this crisis. Uh, the first one was back in, in Silicon Valley where I was two weeks ago. And you both sound so optimistic. Uh, aren't you nervous at all that everything's like blowing up? Well, I, I can't really believe no, I mean, that. Well, I, 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 see, I think the time to have been sort of nervous was the time when everybody was like, this is no big deal. And we were like, no, this is a huge deal. Why are you not listening to us? 
You know, once the crisis is here, you don't do anybody any good by being nervous. You know, at this point, like it is what it is and we have to deal with it. Um, so, uh, but again, so investors I, are nervous. Sorry. So, so investors are nervous. Well, so our financial system today is very, very rickety. Um, which is very unfortunate. Um, post the 2008 financial crisis, uh, we did not fix fundamental problems in the financial sector. And what is what are some of these fundamental problems? One fundamental problem is that we have very, very large banks that are extremely complex, and nobody understands them, not even the people working there or running them. And so uh, much of the economy depends on interbank activities, so lending between banks and the overnight markets and so forth. Um, we didn't fix those markets post the global financial crisis, and we didn't separate out the parts of banking uh, that should be risk-free, which is you know operating cash, people's uh, checking accounts. These should be risk-free. We didn't separate those out. We left them inside those big banks that have all sorts of other crazy stuff inside of them. That's a really bad flaw, and we're being haunted by that same flaw yet again. So when... Am I nervous? I'm not nervous, but I think there are, um, there's sort of underneath it all, there are structural problems that um, could yet come to bite us in fairly unpredictable ways. Uh, so that's, that's kind of one thing. The second thing is that there is a transmission mechanism from the public markets into the private markets that's quite unfortunate. And um, I think people aren't aware of enough, which is that um, many of the limited partners in venture capital funds, they manage a large portfolio. That portfolio contains public equities and then private equities. They usually pursue an allocation strategy where they want to have whatever, let's say, 10% in venture capital slash private equity. Now, the total amount in venture capital private equity in dollar terms stays the same, but your public portfolio just shrunk by a lot. So all of a sudden, instead of having maybe 10% and you have 15% or 18%, so people feel they're over-allocated. And so there's this sort of immediate pullback. Um, and this leads to a very high correlation between the public markets and the private markets, which is unfortunate because right now we should be investing in the private markets very ag aggressively. And so in these situations, there are very few funds, um, and we're fortunate to be one of them, that aren't really constrained. Um, our limited partners are very supportive. And so we're continuing to invest. We're continuing to make new investments in new companies, and we're continuing to invest in the existing portfolio. But not all funds are in that uh, same position. So between the big deleveraging that I already talked about and this sort of weird allocation-based transmission from, that's why um, in these crises, we see um, much more of a freezing up of the private markets than one should reasonably expect. So founders who are listening to this conversation can reach out because you guys are still investing. That's good yeah. news. Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, you know, one of our new analysts, David Gabo, published a blog post. One of the things we're actively looking for is people who do life entertainment over the top. So, right, um, like what we do now. Right. Well, yeah, um, but thinking more like game shows or quiz shows or um, okay. you know things that um, are truly entertaining. I mean, not that we aren't entertaining, <laughs> but, you know, truly entertaining. Thanks, Albert. Thanks for participating in our virtual founders yeah. breakfast here. Thank you. Happy to, Britta. Take care. 
Leah Sophie Kramer is the founder and now an advisory board member of Amorelli, which she describes as an online erotic lifestyle store. Amorelli employs over 150 people in Berlin and operates in 15 countries with a turnover of almost 60 million euros and earnings of almost 10 million last year. She quit as CEO of her firm to take time to invest in herself, to expand her horizon and to learn. She shares what she came up with from her home in Berlin. And you might know me from founding Amrili, the biggest brand for your love life in Europe. What you don't know about me is that I've definitely had my fair share of change, disruption and crises within my life. When I was 25, I had an inland skating sports accident, which almost made me paraplegic. And it took me six months um, laying down to recover and learn. And then in 2011, I was uh, in Tokyo working in one of the biggest uh, skyscrapers for Groupon when the earthquake and then the tsunami and then the Fukushima nuclear crisis broke down on us. And I was responsible for 800 Japanese and 30 international employees. I think these were challenging moments and everybody reacts to crisis differently. And today I want to share with you my ways to cope with change and crisis and to see if you can not only cope with it, but actually stay sane and win uh, something good out of this situation. So here is my four-step approach. Number one, realize that uncertainty is the nature of life. Life by itself is uncertain, and we were never able to predict it in the first place anyways. The sooner we embrace that truth, the more open we can be for whatever comes our way. Happiness is expectations minus reality, as we all know it. And the sooner we accept life for what it is, and not for what we expected it to be, wanted to be, or thought it should be in this moment, the easier it gets. I know this is a hard struggle because I always struggle with it myself massively in the beginning when things don't go my way. But the sooner I let go, the faster I can accept it for what it is, the sooner I'm ready to learn. What is this situation teaching me? So as an entrepreneur, it might be that you need to focus more time and effort of, on diversifying your markets, your products, or even your table with your investors. As an individual, it might be practicing resilience or being able to focus more. Or it might be that you enjoy talking to your friends because they all have time to pick up the phone. You might miss your job. Or you might realize how much we actually like people. So I think asking ourselves about the teachings helps us practice gratitude. And gratitude, as we all know, is one of the most essential ingredients of being happy. Number three, don't judge in right or wrong, especially not yourself. So in extraordinary times and uh, difficult situations like this, we all behave differently. And um, you might be disappointed or angry at yourself because you read too many news. You're not as productive as you thought you would be. You call your loved ones too little or too much. You don't have the nerve to call your friends. There could be a million different reasons um, on why you act that way, but it doesn't really help us to judge it in right or wrong. A better way is to ask yourself, is this behavior or thought benefiting me? Is it to my benefit or is it helping me? And if it's not, then try to limit your time with that kind of unhelpful thought, embrace it, accept it for what it stands for, but then limit the time you spend with an unhelpful thought and move on. There's a great quote, there's so much more we can do than we can't do. I would advise to focus on what you can do. You can spend time at home with your loved ones. You can spend time with your kids. 
You can start an online training um, and becoming a nutritionist. You can read books. You can send postcards to your grandparents if you can't see them. So I think there's so much more we can do than we can't do. And focusing on that positive keeps us positive. So I hope my four points to cope with the change um, helped you. And uh, there's a great quote from uh, Winston Churchill. It's an interesting one, let's say. Never waste a good crisis because in these moments, the puzzle of the world is falling into a new shape. And there's obviously many opportunities arising. And I hope that next to seeing and looking for opportunities, you will also come out of this crisis stronger because you know that even a worldwide virus can't fight you down and that you can believe in yourselves and in your inner strength. I think currently we can help each other and help society by um, many ways, by however we can, like staying home or doing virtual conferences or whatever you might think of. And once this virus is over, um, we need to roll up our sleeves and we need to get back to work and we need to make sure that for ourselves and for future generations, we are claiming back the health of our society and the economy of our society and we're making sure that we're doing everything we can to reduce suffering and to bring back the strength we know we have. I know we can do this. I hope this helped you. Most of us encounter obstacles, financial troubles, personal disasters and hurdles along our carefully planned existences at some point in our lives. Some of us never recover, but most of us overcome one way or the other, and we all develop our very own survival tools. This is what Hollywood star Kevin Spacey did after his career derailed after allegations of sexual misconduct. Kevin Spacey was never convicted, and he publicly and deeply apologized. But life as he knew, it stopped. And with the corona crisis now ending careers and life plans without anyone's fault, he feels that maybe some of what he did to be able to go on may help some of us in these dark hours as well. I want to begin by saying that I hope that you and your family and your friends are all doing okay in this very frightening and challenging time. I have no magic wand that I can wave around and make all of this go away, because believe me, if I did, I would have used it already. I want to first also tell you that I um, have written down what I want to say today because it's been a long time since I've spoken to so many people. I mean, at least they tell me there might be some people watching today. So I'm going to refer to these notes, um, even though my only audience uh, is actually lying on the floor in front of me. My dog Boston is here. And so if you hear any noises during my talk, it's probably just her snoring. And also, as you can see, it's never too early to dress up for Oktoberfest. Um, on a more serious note, I want to say thank you to all of the health professionals all around the world who are doing all they can to save as many lives as possible and to slow down the spread of this terrible virus. What they do is incredible. And I also want to thank Andy, Felix, and Byrne for their kindness in asking me to be a part of this first Bits and Pretzels virtual Founders Breakfast. I will do my best to share some of my perspective on what it feels like to suddenly find yourself in a situation you could not possibly have prepared for or anticipated was coming. I don't think it will come as a surprise for anyone to say that my world completely changed in the fall of 2017. 
my job, many of my relationships, my standing in my own industry were all gone in just a matter of hours. I don't often like to tell people that I can relate to their situation because I think it undermines the experience that they may be having, which is their own unique and very personal experience. But in this instance, I feel as though I can relate to what it feels like to have your world suddenly stop. And so while we may have found ourselves in similar situations, albeit for very different reasons and circumstances, I still believe that some of the emotional struggles are very much the same. And so I do have empathy for what it feels like to suddenly be told that you can't go back to work or that you might lose your job and that it's a situation that you have absolutely no control over. You know, in talks that I've done before, I've always tried to highlight the commonalities that we have together, artists and entrepreneurs. I think we do have a lot in common. I mean, let's face it, we're all a little bit crazy, right? And for good reason. We all have a vision. We think the impossible is possible. We dream, we dream big, either about our own talents and what we think we can do with them, or a company we want to start, or an idea we want to develop. And these are the dreams that we chase even when we know that the odds are against us. And I don't have to tell any of you the resilience it takes to keep going in the face of a lot of people who want to remind us that we are heading down the wrong road. But oftentimes in our pursuit of these dreams, we don't bother to check the engine light, you know? We just want to keep driving a few more miles, you know? God forbid we should stop the car and check the tires or look at the oil gauge. It's just all about gas, you know? It's just pedal to the metal, go, go, go. And that may very well be what we needed to do to get us that far. But when the car finally does come to a stop, either through success or through failure, we may have no idea where we are, or even worse, we may have no idea who we are. And that's exactly what happened to me. I was so busy defining myself by what I did or what I was trying to do that when it all stopped, I had no idea what to do next. Because all I ever knew was how to act. All I ever wanted to do was act. From the time I was 11 years old, I, I dreamed of acting. I thought I was born to do it. I, I, I did it my whole life. And when my career came to a grinding, screeching halt, when I was faced with the uncertainty that I might never be hired as an actor again, I had to ask myself a question I'd never asked myself before, which is, if I can't act, who am I? I mean, I'd only ever valued myself through my work. I'd only defined myself through my work. That's who I was. But if that wasn't going to be a possibility anymore, then who am I when all I am left with is just me? It's not something I ever thought I'd have to contemplate. So this is some of the work that I have been trying to do. And while I don't want to sugarcoat this devastating time that we're in, I am hoping that I can encourage you to see an opportunity in all of this and turn this into a positive. Sure, there may be issues to deal with in your business life, but there's nothing more important than your life. And I know it might be hard to hear right now, but it's at these kinds of moments that we have the chance to remember that the most important thing in life is our health, our physical health. 
but also our mental health. The health of our family, of our children, of our parents, if we're still lucky enough to have them with us. And right now, we have this opportunity to just stop and reflect on our lives and maybe even learn a little bit more about ourselves. Because as bleak and as horrible as things can be and can look, as they did for me two years ago and as they might look for you right now, it will get better. No doubt your questions will be different from mine and they will change over time because it's a process. And I'm still in my process. But this is a process that has allowed me to ask other questions I'd never ask, have conversations I'd never had, delve into issues I'd long avoided, face truths I'd kept hidden, and confront traumas I had always denied. So I hope that you too can find out as painful as these moments are, as difficult as the questions you may ask yourself might be, that you will soon discover a new part of you that has been begging to be heard. And I know as you sit there in your living room or in your office at home, it might feel a long way away, but before you know it, it's going to be back to business as usual, which is all the more reason to take this moment now to engage in your life in a new way. And believe me, I know it's not easy to do, it's not even easy to talk about. And if I didn't have someone checking in on me every day, I'm not sure how I could have gotten through the first day, let alone this day. And let me leave you with this. This past week, I got a letter from someone asking me to sign an American Beauty poster. And as I was looking at the poster, I noticed just under the title are two words, two really simple words. It says, look closer. And I realized I never really saw that before. I mean, yeah, I saw it. I mean, I must have looked at that poster more times than I can count, but I never really saw it. I never really stopped and looked closer at my own life. But when you do stop and explore the personal, the spiritual, your health, your relationships, the changes can be real and the rewards will keep coming. And even though we do want to conduct ourselves with the appropriate social distancing, we can still be kind because kindness at any distance brings us closer. So begin by being kind to yourself. Might be the hardest place to start. It certainly was for me. When my business partner, Evan Lowenstein, and I went to Munich in 2016 when I gave the keynote, we had an incredible experience. And when we returned in 2017, we were welcomed again with such friendship by our partners. So I thank the entire Bits and Pretzels family. And I particularly want to say thank you to the Bits and Pretzels team for having asked me to join you all today. I hope it won't be too long before we're all back together sharing a night in one of those outrageous tents in Munich, hearing amazing stories of how you got through this difficult time. I'm looking forward to seeing you in your 
tight-fitting leather pants, your lederhosens, as you like to call them, and drinking way too many steins of beer and sharing the camaraderie that's always made bits and pretzels such a sought-after destination. Until then, thank you for allowing me to share some of my thoughts. I hope in some small way I've been able to bring you some comfort. Keep fighting the fight. Stay safe and healthy and take care of yourselves and those you love. Well, we certainly hope that this has inspired you. Thank you so much for listening today. And please let us know how we do and write to us at podcast at bitsandpretzels.com. Next week, we'll be hearing more inspiring stories about how to deal with the corona crisis. Stay safe, stay healthy, and see you next week. Bye.